What is up, everyone? Welcome into episode 90 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com. My co-host will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. After Mike and I get all caught up, we'll talk a little bit about education and how you can play melodically, referencing Peter Erskine's article in the June issue. And our featured artist this time is Miss Annika Nillis, and she has just released a new album called Piccolar. Our gear review section will feature the Zildjian K Custom Special Dry Series. We'll get to a few of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Man, my, my <laughs> like I got freaking lotion on my hands. My snap did nothing. It was like, whoa. Uh-oh. It was like hitting, a, <laughs> like hitting a felt when you go to hit the bell. <laughs> it just didn't even make any noise. Hope you can line that up. Uh. Zoom in. It's episode 90, so we're 10 away from the big century mark. Man, how cool is that? Pretty crazy. And I looked at our calendar, so this August will be two years. Wow. So we had not only 100 episodes, but then we also have a two-year birthday to celebrate in August. Wow. That's crazy. (laughs) Man, I mean, I don't know. Like, maybe you should be talking to my wife because, like, I've never been able to do anything consistently (laughs) for two years. Like, I I mean, I get get so excited about things. I'll do it really – go hardcore for, like, a week, and then I'm out. So, uh, yeah, this is – this is almost a long-term relationship. Yeah. I'm really excited. Well, you know, well last, last week I almost sent you a text apologizing for being low energy, but then I listened to the show. I'm like, you know what? It was good. Even even on an off day, it was all right. Like, yeah. I think we've hit a, we've hit a stride here. I was we, like, man, I feel like I ripped off everybody. I wasn't giving it my full thought and attention. I think the only thing that changes, our energy is pretty much the same. It's just when we think we're low energy, all we are is in lack of sleep. So we just say less intelligent things because yeah, yeah. I almost use the word stupider and I just realized that's not a word uh, how's your sleep but uh, yeah not first camp of the year man this is uh, I'm I'm worn out what's the hours out. is it 10 a.m. to 5 6 something like that uh, it's it's 11 a.m. to about 10 p.m. oh yeah that's a long day yeah I mean it depends I, I would say camp is officially done at 6 p.m. as far as the learning. So the learning is is seven hours. It's from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. Yeah. Then we have dinner, uh, and that can take whatever, you know, usually an hour We all because it's a group dinner. So uh, I would say the eating is the fastest part, figuring out what 10 people are going to order because uh, yeah. it's myself, Amber, and then the eight campers. And then – paying for the check for 10 people <laughs> oh, at yeah. every meal every lunch every dinner is 10 <laughs> people paying for a check and and i literally will put down as as much money as in my pocket because i don't want to deal with the bill and you know i'm probably one dollar over but i just put out money and i i run i leave <laughs> i cannot be around for that stress <laughs> it just drives me crazy um, there have been times where i picked up the tab for the whole table only because i couldn't deal with the stress of people being like well i have a card and i've got that's cash the and I'm worst. Like, oh, that's the worst i'll just pay yeah. I, just, I can't deal with it i hate it um, when you're the only one with a card everyone gives you cash but they never give you enough you're like i just got right screwed over because i'm the yep. one with the card i'm the tip guy great <laughs> fantastic but yeah this camp i will say this is the first camp of the year and these guys are absolutely amazing so yeah so we go uh till 6 p.m we have our dinner then we come back and from 7 to about 8 30 or 9 is when we do our what we call the camper shed where everyone gets on the kit and plays a song we just have fun uh and then we have like our nightly wrap-up talk where it's it's everyone's chance to just get anything off their chest like hey i really struggled today Mm. um or or one guy um i mean just the sweetest guy you could ever imagine he woke up with a migraine yesterday so he was like hey He's apologizing to the group, like, guys, I feel like you guys all worked really hard, and I kind of mailed it in. Here's why. And Mm. so it's a good chance for everyone to get stuff off their chest or to say, like, man, I made huge strides today. I'm so excited about my playing. Um, Yesterday was uh, where we have have one day uh, in the camp where it's private lessons for everybody. So 
you only have as a camper, you have a one half hour private lesson, but I have to teach all eight campers. So there's a four hour span of time for you to practice and I can't monitor you. So that's our four stage practice method day where in the morning they create what their four stage practice method is going to be out of non-creative, creative and main focus exercises and some songs. And then they try to do it as many times in a row as they can with breaks, of course. And then at the end of the day, they get up on the kit and show like their improvement. So that was yesterday. It was a really cool day. So what was great was everybody saying what I expected to hear, which is, yeah, I printed out your four stage practice method thing. I have it on my wall. I watched all the minor videos. I've never done it before. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So (laughs) this was really cool to find out how much better I could get in just one day if I actually did this. And it's like, yeah. Hey, man, I bought the P90X DVDs back in the 90s and had them for two years before I ever put them in the slot. So I get you, man. I get it. Practice does Um, actually work. Yeah, and even a little bit of practice, it actually does work. And you know what it also does that we don't talk about enough is it also inspires you. I think you, a lot of times when you practice, you just tend to find things that you weren't doing before and you just get excited and you're like, oh my gosh. And that, that practice unlocks a door that leads to something you weren't even planning to practice anyways. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like um, I have some students who are so ambitious, but they're technically nowhere near where they need to be. So right. they're like they want to they want to go straight to playing like JoJo Mayer. I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to I don't want to frustrate you, but we have to practice double stroke roll like for years before you can play like yeah. JoJo. We had to go through. I know all it's, the baby it's tough, steps. right? Yeah, I think I usually when I encounter that, and I encounter that with almost every student, I'm trying to find a nuance I can grab from their favorite drummer just to give them a little kind of dessert. Like here, yeah. here's a, a JoJo Mayerism that you can pull off right now. But unfortunately, I'm sorry, man. Like you, you cannot play the basic rock beat even close to in time right now. Yeah. And what you love about JoJo Mayer, you actually don't know what you love about him yet because you're not good enough to know that. Yeah. But if you, but ten years from now, you're going to love the precision and that the distance between every note is exact. Well, that's timing, and I'm trying to give that to you. So, yeah, it, it can be a, a tough thing. So, but this first camp is. You know they're setting the tone for the whole year because it's my first camp out of ten, and these guys are just incredible human beings. So I'm having a blast with them, and uh, yeah, I got tonight, and then tomorrow is kind of like the fun day where anything we didn't cover in camp they get to ask about. We do a whole class on how to create video content for yourself with simple setups all the way to very complex setups, cool. multi-camera setups, how to edit videos, how to promote yourself on social media. And 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 then we do our microphone testing, which is awesome. We mm. go from $99 all the way up to $2,500 to see if your ear can't tell the difference, don't spend the money. Yeah, right. Um, and our snare drum test. So tomorrow are, will be a lot of fun. But So did you have some sessions? Yeah, remember I said last last week I had to go down That's to right. D.C. I had a session oh, yeah. all day on Saturday and then a gig. Out of your studio. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it, yeah. it, it's a totally different mindset. And I, I love it, and it, it's an anxiety-inducing experience as well. I mean, first of all, there's someone there watching and, and critiquing my playing, which doesn't happen at home. I'm my yeah, I mean, my usually creative. you get to send them the end result, and then you're okay with them critiquing it because you've already gone through it. Yeah, but this is happening yeah, in real time. Exactly. My process at home is I, I will spend the first 15 minutes exploring and then finding something that I think works, and then I'll send okay. that as an audition take. But I know that the, the take is clean, like there's no major malfunctions in it. Right. Uh, so this is like I'm learning the song while the producer's listening, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and, and ultimately, they hire you because they want you to do what you do. But my process is not a, it's not always a first instinct process. It's usually let me try something that I think will work or something that sounds good in my head. But then once you put it in actual audio, it sounds stupid. 
I didn't actually didn't <laughs> encounter much of that because I, I okay. did I did get the tracks on the drive down. I was able to listen to them a few times, so I was at least able oh, to have huge. the arrangements memorized. So I didn't have to like learn the songs, so right. I could go straight into like just trying different ideas. But it was cool, and it's it's such a it's a more cavalier experience to where it's like just go just hit record and let's just go we're at home i'm more meticulous with tuning and trying a bunch of different cymbals and right. snare drums and this was just like that that sounds good roll it <laughs> you know wow which is cool because it kind of gets me playing a little bit you know a little bit more off the cuff which i which yeah. i wouldn't necessarily do at home usually those are the takes that i just trash and don't don't send out so he's yeah. hearing my like raw like first experience through the song and getting excited i'm like all right cool all right let's roll with it let's go and i would assume once you get used to the personality of the producer um knowing you as i do, do i mean do you get excited to have a second opinion because you can't really monitor yourself in the moment yeah like no a producer can. I, i'm thankfully at a point in a confidence with my playing that i'm not worried about him hearing mistakes anymore like that stuff is i think i've i'm comfortable enough playing with a click track and recording to where the anxiety of am I good enough is not there anymore right. which so, took years I mean that was sure, eight, of course. eight years of, of every day recording myself so now it's just fun like I know I'm going to play in time there might be a few measures where I jump off the click for a couple milliseconds but that's not a big deal no, nothing catastrophic so right. it just goes right into like cool give me a more interesting fill going into the chorus I want to hear that or go to the toms yeah. instead of the ride cymbal um, but, yeah, it's like cool. I'm happy to do it. I just need the direction. Yeah, so. and I don't ultimately know where these songs are going to end up. They're roughs, like guitar and vocal. There's really I don't know okay. where it's going to ultimately end up. But the producer's name is Mark sure. Williams. He was he was awesome. Uh, I think I think the art of being a producer is is really challenging because again we come in with our own egos and stuff, and you can right. very easily say I don't like it, and that would immediately like destroy the the session. Like I don't like right. it. But it was more like. I mean, it was the coolest compliment that I'm, I'm, I hope it doesn't sound arrogant to say, but he was like, man, you just played what I was thinking, so we're good. Like, I don't have to do wow. anything. You just got it. <laughs> like, okay, cool. And I mean, dude, all, every muscle in your body just must relax at that yeah. moment and be like, okay, then everything from here is just a cherry on top. Exactly. Then, whatever then it's want. just trying, you know, different approaches, slightly different things. Like one, one intro, he wanted me to play real strict so he could possibly filter it out and make it sound like a loop. And okay. then one take, I just did what my instincts told me to do. And then one take, I just tried something completely different. Um, cool. So it was just a lot of that. It was cool. We got three songs done, and then I went straight to the gig. But it was one of those weird, I don't know if it's you know something in the cosmos, but one of those those weekends when gear just didn't want to cooperate, man. Really? His computer wouldn't, wouldn't function properly for a while, uh, which could have derailed the whole thing. But it, it worked out, and we, we were still able to get the tracks done. But then I broke sticks. Like, I don't. I don't break sticks. <laughs> you know? Wow! I broke yeah. two sticks in the session. The hi hat clutch uh, fell apart. You told me it was a brush thing. No, it Did wasn't. You... <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was that not. Was, no, that was one particular song where he's like, you know, the obvious choice would be brushes, but let's not do that. Let's not take it. And to you're it. like, yeah, yeah, that's how, yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Don't listen to episode 89 of my podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, but yeah, sticks broke. The hi hat clutch fell apart in one take. Uh, then I got to the gig and my bass drum trigger like system got reset to default, so all my settings were were not right. And oh my goodness, I was like what the heck is going on today? But just you know, getting it out of the way, man. 
Oh, and you know, I, and, and really ironically, we had just talked about how bass drum pedals just don't care. It's like, I don't care what right. the pedal is as long as no oh, one boy. spills a beer on it. Well, right. guess what happened? I spilled Somebody all, spilled a beer. I spilled a whole glass of water. You spilled it. it was, yeah, because the, the bass player handed it to me while I was like getting set up, so I just put it down on the floor underneath my throne. Completely oh. forgot it was there. Leaned back, knocked it over. It went all over my pedal. So for three hours, my pedal felt like I was an ice skate. Oh. And of course, I didn't have a towel. I just like, all right, let's go. And so the whole time, I was like, just slipping and sliding. I was just paying attention to the freaking bass drum pedal, which we had just talked oh. about. Never ever <laughs> thinking about the bass drum pedal. <laughs> so awesome, man. That's so, so awesome. Murphy's Law, well, man. I, always kicks yeah, in. Yeah, man. I used to uh, when I would tour, I would always put a drink purposely on my bass drum pedal but it was always coke i always sticky took a rag soaked it with coke yeah. dabbed it on the pedal and it kind of got rid of any of the dust but then left a sticky residue behind no this so is, beer doesn't do that this was water so it was oh, it was ice oh. water yeah so it was oh, just no way yeah and i don't have a normal rug i have one of those uh oh. black widow drum maps so it's not right. um, it's, it's not absorbent it's vinyl so it was just like a puddle of water underneath my bass drum pedal for three so awesome. hours. That's so awesome. Because I'm thinking like how much I hate playing my drum set when I just walk in the door when it's raining. Yeah, yeah. But I can't even imagine having. And then every time I try to like dry my foot off on the rug, I remember, oh, I just stepped in a puddle again. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, and there was one tough, other man. thing, the uh, the snare drum head, which was relatively new. Halfway through the first song, the the coating just started flying off. I'm like, oh man, I didn't bring a spare drum. This head just going to explode. On me. <laughs> That's so awesome. It was just one of those like, oh my gosh, give me home, give me home. But it was fun. Yeah. You know, it was a good time. Well, the thing that you you know probably put the most stock in, which is the session. I'm just glad to hear that that went really well. So yeah, tons of fun. That's good. Yeah, good stuff, buddy. Well. It is time to talk about a little education and talk about playing melodically. So Peter Erskine wrote an article for the June issue yeah, he's about back. playing melodically. Yep. He's back. That guy's never going anywhere. I mean, I uh, <laughs> I literally learned how to play jazz from his articles in the 90s in Modern Drummer. Like cuz there was That's no so cool. there was no small group jazz scene in Western Maryland. It was all, you know, big bands and stuff. So sure. I, I I he became my favorite jazz drummer because he wrote every month in Modern Drummer. So I just reached out to him know, a couple months back. I was like, man, I really want to get you back in the book because I mean, he's so, and for me personally, selfishly, he was so important to me. Like I, yeah. I learned how to comp and do all that stuff because of his articles. So, And he was he was super cool. And just so happened that he uh, partnered up with artistworks.com. Mm-hmm. So he's got a, a course on jazz drumming. So we were able to kind of rework some of the stuff he'd already done so he wouldn't have to spend a whole bunch of time you know, reinventing the wheel, so to speak. Right. And the whole premise is playing melodically, not necessarily soloing, more like how do you comp, how do you just approach the drum set as a more melodic instrument? Well, let's talk about that first. So playing melodically to me when I didn't know, when I didn't really have a good idea what it was, but I would just read that term in Modern Drummer as a kid. I really thought it meant that you were playing the Star Spangled Banner on your toms. Right, which is, you can do that, yeah. Yeah. Obviously, but it wasn't until I found World Grooves that I understood that a melody could just be anything that I could sing back. Yeah. Um, and once you know, when I when I started playing the Cuban stuff, if I'm playing tumbao on my bass drum uh, 
And by the way, I'm never ever going to say cascara. Um, I will always say cascara, um, no <laughs> matter what, because I can't stand those news anchors that are like, "Hey, everybody, welcome into the show tonight. I am Daniel Montoya." I'm like, "What happened to your voice for your name, man?" So yeah. Anyways, um, if I'm playing the cascara pattern on the shell and all this in in a Cuban setting, and maybe clave on the left hand, it was very rhythmic. But I wasn't thinking of it as melodic. It wasn't until I found Afro-Cuban drumming and there were these African rhythms being played between two to three pitches that I was like, oh my gosh, I can sing back yeah. what my left hand is doing in a Mozambique or in a Wawanko. I think the Wawanko is a perfect example. That is a melody. Like It's, it's right. the conga drums playing a very specific melody. And that's that opened my eyes to melodic drumming and then thinking of melodic drumming as a hook as a motif that I could I could kind of do some call and response with. I could come back to it. Um, so in this article, what is Peter Erskine using as the you know for melodic drumming? Yeah, it's kind of the opposite. I mean, not one's not better than the other. It's the opposite of the Terry Bozio, like actually writing melodies for the drums. So okay. he's he's actually using melodic instruments and melodies of songs to then force you to play the drum set with that type of phrasing so in part one okay. he's taking the jazz standard billy's bounce so he gives us mm-hmm. the actual melodic transcription of the melody so you can see it if you can read it if you can play piano or guitar you could actually learn the song okay. and then he just talks about how can you play this melody on the drums just on the snare drum and have it convey the same phrasing the same wow. short and long notes the same you know assumed accents like he explains that when you play a horn, the higher notes just have to be louder because they require more air. Okay. So if you don't know that, when you're playing this on the drum set, you might not put that, you know, because it's not notated. There's no accent marked, but the higher right. notes need a slightly heavier And stroke. the listener's going to pick up on that whether they actually know it or not. Yeah, they're, you can just kind of subconsciously, you, you start hearing the melody without even, mm-hmm. with just a, a noise box. I mean, a snare drum is just a noise box, but you can actually right. hear the melody by stickings so he uses doubles to create slurs and things like that um and using you know right hand versus left hand for different type of inflections that's so cool so it's ultimately his concept is you 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 have to have the melody of the song ingrained into your memory so strong that if as you're singing the song back either audibly or just in your head it forces your hands to make changes that aren't necessarily the most obvious or the most natural Mm -hmm. But the sound is dictating what you play, and then when he goes more specific in, in later articles about exactly how he sticks this thing, actually it's in the at the end of this one he gives you a sticking. But for me, when I'm learning a tune, because I've done this a lot, um, I don't even know what my sticking is until I would go back and look at it later because I'm okay. I'm just trying to get the sound and just the my, sound. My yeah. hands just kind of do things that that give right. me the sound. If I look back, I'm like, oh, I did a paradiddle there. I didn't even realize it or something like that. So it's 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 more of a a jazz context, but I think it could relate to anything, and I think it it dives into you know my obsession that I think is really important to get to that next level, which is the nuance of phrasing, even in grooves. Mm-hmm. You know, what does a double sound like versus a single sound like, and how does that change the groove and fills? I mean, a single stroke fill sounds very different than a fill that has doubles incorporated into it. Sure, and to me, that all defines a melodic sensibility. It's not necessarily playing melodically, yeah. but it's a sensibility where you're you're shaping every phrase. So you don't you never just play four notes in a row with the exact same dynamic, unless that's in right. one purpose. There's always some kind of a growth or something happening there. Yeah, well, and and I think that phrasing is so important when it comes to 
not everything being random. It's, you know, we just did a whole week of phrasing lessons on mikeslessons.com for the live stream. And what I kept trying to imply to the students or impart to the students was that phrasing, in my opinion, is an agreed upon musical idea between the artist and the listener. So we've agreed upon this thing. It's probably going to repeat a little bit. Now, I can do a lot of things inside of it. You know, you can play Billy's Bounce through the melody once, and then the next time you play the melody again, and it's still in your head, but you're improvising a little bit. Yeah. But the, yeah. the the listener is still on the journey with you. Yeah. That's a way different thing. And to me, that's a much more enjoyable thing than somebody just randomly throwing down for 16 bars. Yeah. And there's nothing yeah. implied. There's nothing gluing it together. So we were talking about rhythmic phrasing and saying, okay, this is a phrase, you know, now I can do that and start improvising around it. But once I hit it the second time, the listener is on the journey with me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so there's, there can be the rhythmic phrasing, there can be the melodic phrasing. And I think that once you learn how to do that, like you said, you've obsessed on it. I remember Pete Magadini making me, it's just like that one melodic phrasing lesson where he just made me sing Satin Doll out loud while I took a 16 bar solo. Yeah. And I had to sing the A section of Satin Doll. And my drumming, instantly, I was a better drummer. Yeah. I mean, it's. I learned no new skills. I just had something gluing me together. Yeah. It it makes you intrinsically involved with the music rather than I got four bars to do my drum stuff. I mean, it puts you in context. It makes you sound more tasteful. Even if you plan really hard, sophisticated stuff, the guys are going to hear that and say, dude, that was tasty because you weren't just playing, you know, linear lick number three from book number two or whatever. And. And I think it's it's it should. I mean, if you if you study in a jazz program on a collegiate level, a lot of the curriculum is is really heavily slanted this way because that's that's right. expected of you. But it's not necessarily for like the the typical rock guy or you're know, someone who plays sure. in a cover band to think. You know, what are my fills? What is a fill? I mean, can you can you add what is a fill and how does my fill in this song? different from my fill in this other song and right for me it's all about where is it taking the melody where how does it tie it in with the phrasing of the vocal or the guitar line or where where does the melody go does it go to a minor key well then maybe you don't want to play your aggressive flam blush the lick to go to the bridge right. that has a a more mellow emotion to it melancholy emotion and, yeah right? and i define all of that as playing melodically even though i'm not playing mary had a little lamb on three toms I'm still no, yeah, yeah, no, I get you, man. I mean, that's you're still thinking about the music and thinking about what you do. That's a tough thing for a drummer to understand, especially in the first maybe five to ten years. That everything you do, you should ask yourself, why did you do that? I just went through that with some of the campers here, where I was saying, look, I don't mind you playing that busy; it doesn't bother me at all. If you can at least tell me why you're doing it. If you're doing it because it's harder than not doing it, and you're trying to push yourself, then that's not going to work for <laughs> yeah, me, right? Right. But if you if you came to me and said, look. I played the basic straight-ahead pop beat, and I felt that it was really empty, so I started adding these ghost notes, and then I felt like there was really no low end, so I put in an extra kick going into the downbeat of one to give it a one. That's a, It's like, man, I'm so happy you're thinking that way. That's great. Yeah. yeah. But if you're like, well, this is the newest beat I learned in 4-4, and it's happening no matter what you say. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, that's not, a, that's not a real great way to think about yeah. it. And, um, I mean, the flip side of that is sometimes playing melodically means playing five percent of what your instincts tell you to play like that's that's something that i've only realized now that i'm doing more solo drum experiments and then constantly playing with bands they are literally two separate languages the stuff that sounds super cool when you play by yourself you get one other 
a musician involved and it's like man that's just some noise like stop doing all that stuff stop yeah, playing all yeah. those ghost notes or don't i think fill. that's <laughs> you know, just don't. I, I, I literally think that's what camp is um for me is it's me taking out everything everyone's ever practiced mm. while telling them practice all this stuff too but don't do it ever um <laughs> And, well, and it just go depends. Home. Depends on what you're doing. It, totally, it totally depends. But I, I'm talking about your average drummer that kind of maybe has a once every two week cover gig. It's yeah. like, man, really. And the and the other thing, and we've talked about it so many times, and we'll get back to Peter Erskine's article in a second. But is just the over crashing. And I'm only saying it because I'm in the middle of a camp where I'm like, okay, we're on the. We haven't hit the verse yet. We're still in the <laughs> intro, and you've hit the crash five times. Um, and once they realize it, they're like, yeah, I, I don't know why I'm doing it. I'm like, well, I know why you're doing it. You're resetting yourself. But your band doesn't need that. They're well aware of where they are. Yeah. They now, don't need you to do that. Question. Do your guys all wear earplugs when they're playing the kid at the camps? They Not when they're demoing something. Um, I actually, if they do, I make them take them out. Okay. Because they hit so, they're so loud and they, they don't know it. Yeah. that was, um, Yeah, that's what I was saying. Because it's, it's kind of a trick that I use in the studio, especially when other guys are coming in and they're not, they don't record all the time. Right. Is I make sure that their headphone mix is, is overheads heavy. Right. That way they're hearing yeah. the cymbals because that's a good, that's if you a good muffle, call, yeah. if you wear earplugs or you wear headphones with like a perfect studio mix where the overheads are kind of mixed lower, you're right. going to be compensating by smacking the crap out of the crash and not realizing yeah. how harsh that actually sounds and how destructive yeah. it is really. And back to like playing melodically. I bet if we were interviewing Peter right now and we asked him about a crash or crashing, he would have a very, very musical response to that as far as like, it's an explosion. Like, why yeah. do you keep hitting it? Like, <laughs> what happened musically to warrant a 20-inch piece of metal to be shaken to its core? Like, <laughs> nothing. So, I mean, it's like, and that's that's kind of usually what we'll do is we'll just say, okay, you know what, guys, come on in the control room, and I'll play maybe, um, I don't know, something off an early John Mayer album. And I'll be like, okay, this was a hit single. Let's count the crashes. And mm-hmm. it's a four-minute song, and there's five crashes total. Yeah, it benchmark parts of the, not like not the first verse, not the no, no, yeah. no, no. This is like something really happened, and <laughs> and that thing would have felt really weird if there wasn't a crash to support it. And I'll even tell them, okay, just give me like a quick air crash so I can see your hand move when you think there should be a crash. And it and it's like, I mean, they're just up there shucking and jiving like you know John Travolta in Saturday Night Live or Saturday Night Fever. They're just going for it, and I'm like, nope. Nope, nope. So, um, yeah, but thinking melodically, I think, is where it starts, and then playing melodically is the result of that. So definitely check out Peter Erskine's article in the June issue. Yeah, he's got a, he's got um, a handful coming up. So this is just part one. Part two, he actually shows – so part one is just the melody, and then he superimposes his preferred stickings on that melody. And then the second part, he goes into actually playing it on the snare drum, and it's going to just keep expanding from there. But awesome. it's, it's not the sexiest curriculum, but I think it's almost the most important stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. All right. Well, let's get into our featured artist. The cover artist of June is Miss Annika Nillis. Yes. And uh, what an impact she's had in the last two years on. And what I love about it is what an impact she's had on drumming. Yeah. Not on female drummers, not on girl yeah. drummers, on drumming. Yeah. People are obsessed with her drumming. And I just, I'm just so stoked that yeah. we have that in the drum world. You know, and I didn't, uh, I didn't consciously avoid any conversation about her being a female, but it never came up. And I, and it's like, finally, how beautiful like, is that? Let's never like, go there. Let's just not yeah. go there anymore. Yeah. It's, it's irrelevant. <laughs> you know? It is now. Well, that's, what's great is there are obviously some incredible women drummers that made this moment in history possible, 
but it is irrelevant now because of her and because of social media and the timing that it all happened. Yeah. Um, I think this could have happened many times before. I think if we had Instagram and Facebook with Terry Lynn Carrington, this could have easily yeah. happened. Uh, Camille yeah. Gaynor-Jones, um, who else? Uh, uh, Cindy Blackman, if it would have not been focused on Lenny Kravitz, but yeah. on everything else that she can do. Yeah, um, and that's not to discount. I mean, obviously, there's been sexism throughout our society forever so absolutely i'm sure annika's had to deal with some of that but it was i just felt like there's this is the least appropriate medium and the least appropriate opportunity to, to go and go down that way because it's just yeah i think her, well, her drumming stands on it on its own she could be an alien as far as i care i mean it's she's that's just, that's the whole thing it's yeah. like her drumming is what makes it completely irrelevant so let's at least talk about her drumming uh now when did you see her first was it um I was think it, it was. Queens? I I think it was literally the same time that everyone saw her. It was just her okay. her first YouTube video just got shared so quickly and so fast. Right. Um, I think it was Wild Boy. Is that what it is? Yeah, Wild Boy. Which I I mean, digging getting to to chat with her about it, I I learned so much about how this was not a deliberate decision on her part to become a YouTube drummer. It was it was like. I'm just going to make a video so then I have a, a, a video business card to show people right. so they can then you know hire me because everyone's asking for video or audio of her drumming. And I love that it just happened. You know, it was it wasn't yeah. predetermined. It wasn't like I'm going to I'm going to be the first female drum star or whatever whatever preconceived thing that we might have had not knowing the right. story. Of, sure. You know, she she wanted to become a YouTube sensation. I think that was the last thing on her her mind was she just wanted to, and still is for yeah. sure. And she just wanted to have a place to feature her solo compositions and her drumming, and right. and the entire industry just you know ate it up. So I think it's awesome, and it kind of created a career that she had no idea that that was going to happen to her. Um, so it's yeah. really inspiring. I thought it was really inspiring just her humility and honesty about the whole thing. Like she Stephen said, like the, my first two videos, I really don't think are that great. You know, like it's you know, it's, there's of definitely some editing things in there that we missed and stuff like that. But I mean, there's no there's no disputing that when she dropped that first video, there was not much like it. It was pretty it was pretty amazing to see that. Yeah, I think Alter Ego was probably the one that blew up the most on a social level, and that was the one where it was like, okay, this. Now, instead of thinking she's good, which which I think the first one, um, Wild Boy, did. I think everybody just said, okay, you're validated, you're a player. Yeah. But Alter Ego was the one that had all of the, I guess, Annika-isms in it where everybody, yeah. all the students were asking me, how do you do that? Hey, on Alter Ego at 1 minute and 28 seconds, how do you do that? How do you do that? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, holy hell. And I'm yeah. going in going, uh, give me an hour? Like, yeah. this, this drummer can play. Because that, um, that song is, is all written around quintuplets. That kind of yeah. yeah, that's what introduced her quintuplet thing, um, which again she explained it was just an exploration when she was in college that she wanted to write a piece that was based on quintuplets, inspired by the bassist saying, "Have you ever tried anything in quintuplets?" And that just took her yeah. down. It wasn't like she woke up one day and said, "I'm going to make my name as a person who plays in five. <laughs> sure, know? yeah, I don't think uh, not not probably the best way to go purposely, but <laughs> yeah. when she did it. It really changed the game. And I mean, I'm always looking for those drummers or paying attention to those drummers that everyone else is bringing to me and asking me about. You right. know, hey, how how can I do this? How can I do this? And Annika just rose to the top of that right away. And I really, I really loved it. I mean, there's no disputing the fact that it 
gave other female drummers, younger female drummers, um, and by young I mean how long they've played, just validation of like, okay, well, she's killing it and yeah. everyone's looking up to her. But for the most part, what I loved is just people enjoyed it. And I mean, what you and I fell in love with with Dave Weckl as kids – Annika has that. It's it's just so yeah. tangible. When yeah. she plays, there's a, there's I'm like, fervor, uh, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. There's a drum nerd in me that likes this stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I'm not wishing she was doing that with John Mayer. I like it as it is. It's yeah. like, cool. This is drum nerd stuff. I love it. Um, she is a, an amazing person, too. I've had the chance to spend time with her twice in Germany, especially just three weeks ago or four weeks ago. Uh, I was with her for four days there. And the one thing that I want everyone to know is – Man, I mean, unless you were getting into Michael Jordan, you can't find a more obsessive practicer mm. than Annika. She is obsessed with practice. I've I've never seen her, and I've spent time with her two separate times and maybe once or twice somewhere else, but I've never seen her without a pad, without a piece of note paper, working on an exercise. She was literally working on flam taps uh, when I walked in, and she was trying to squash them so that there was no flam. So they were flat flam mm-hmm. taps. And... She had it on a pad, and then she would take the pad off the snare, and she was on her kit, and then she'd try it between rack and snare drum, and she'd look over at me and go, you still hear it. You still hear the flam, don't you? I'm like, what? I don't, I'm don't. i like trying to set up my kit. i got to perform. I've been on a 50-hour flight. I'm like, I guess. And she's like, God. And she was like so bummed that she couldn't flatten out her flams. And I'm like, dude, you're one of the best drummers on the planet. This is awesome. You still are this obsessed. So yeah, um, I you, love can, that. you can't I mean, say she's lucky or she's blessed or, she, yeah. you know. I mean, it's she's like a worker. Vinny Cayuta is the same way. I mean, the dude was born with a certain obsession about drumming, but for all reports, the guy still carries sticks around. He has no reason to do that anymore. He could, right. he could sure. never practice again for the rest of his life. But, and I think, you know, it teeters on the point of where does it go too far, but I think when you have a good aesthetic, like Annika's really she's interested in melodies and, and songs and composing. So then it's not just like, how far can I push drumming? It's how far can no, I no, push no. myself to make the most honest musical statement, which I really, right. And she was very honest about hating drum solos. Like, Oh yeah. Like absolutely hating them. Like not even other people playing drum solos. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and somebody asked her that, uh, during one of her clinics or one of her master classes, and they were, and, uh, she's like, yeah, I don't even like, other drum solos like i don't watch them ever um (laughs) which i I don't like them i mean i I, I mean again that's one person's opinion but i think it's just to be that open about it because i kind of feel the same way like if you gave me a drum set in a room full of people and said just play for 10 minutes i'm like i'm not inspired like i need something to inspire me to just show off like i don't have that mentality like yeah i can't wait to show off now it's like no, nah, I need something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, drop some some metal bars in the corner so I can at least hear some melody or something <laughs> to get me going. Some metal bars. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's great. Well, I think what what is surprising isn't that she hates drum solos or dislikes drum solos. I think what's surprising is that the normal drummer, the everyday drummer, thinks if I had your skills, I'd solo all day. That's what I mean. And yeah. so so they see her and think, well, with your skills, you must love throwing down. And she doesn't. And a lot of people don't maybe don't dig far enough to know that she's the one writing these songs that she's playing. So she's yeah. not just a, I mean, I, I think she feels late to the game in drumming because drumming wasn't her main thing as a kid and, or even a teenager. And I mean, it's just, it's scary, you know? So well, yeah, she's, she's never a, done a drum cover, I think, which is admirable, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Especially with the amount of internet fame that she has. And 
you know, we we see it as internet fame because we're over here in America, but she's definitely considered one of the players in Germany in her home country, and I'm I'm looking forward to that branching out more and more. I mean, I, I would love to find out like, oh, she got you know the uh, the Wayne Krantz gig, or she got. Yeah. You know, if she wanted it, I'm sure. I don't know what she wants out of her career right now. I mean, now, I, got but, a, uh, I got a sense that she's, which is awesome. She wants to write her own music and have her own band. I mean, that's there's yeah, go that's with great. it. You don't have to have a, a. You don't have to latch on to someone else to become a, a. It seemed to work fine for Buddy Rich. Yeah, I mean, it's it's cool. And her new album is called Picalar, which has no actual meaning. Which I thought was oh, cool. Really? It's just a word she made up. <laughs> so definitely <laughs> check it out. It's, it's all original music. It's it's progressive, but also melodic. So you can yeah. you can listen to it and just enjoy his music, or you can also just be you know mesmerized by the awesome musicianship. So it's peak of It's and our first full length. Can you confirm? I don't remember this, uh, but I think she mentioned something about eventually uh, that album was going to come out drumless. So that people could play to it. Do you know if that's happened? I don't know if it has or not. Okay, uh, yeah. So I don't okay, know. we can maybe we can uh, update you guys on that because I, I can't remember either. But I I think that was the plan. So. And there's some tricky right. stuff in there that again, <laughs> the music is so easy to listen to that you're like, oh, of course I can play along to that. Well, there's sections where she's playing a five over four polyrhythm, but it's not just a five over four; it's a groove in five over four. And then right. she comes back in the four. So it's not like a random tempo change. The band is staying at 4-4, four, four, and then she goes in the five. And it was hard to transcribe because <laughs> I transcribed some Oh, did you some do some trans? Oh, nice. Yeah. I was yeah like, no, what she's the a, heck she's a player. is she doing there? I'm like, oh, she's playing a five in the measure of 4-4, four, four, but wow. it's like a groove. It's not a, it's not a fill right. in five. So there's oh, some man. sneaky, sneaky drum stuff in there. It's really cool. Definitely check it well, out. Well, I'm really excited because I, I have that feeling, and I'm sure you feel the same way, that she's – this moment in social media for her has nothing to do with the definition of her career. She's going to be somebody that we're going to be keeping up with. Yeah. Like Benny, um, you know, like Weckle, Vinny. Like she'll be in that world where we'll want to know what she's doing five years from now, no matter what the medium is. So I mean, you better believe Dave Weckle would have been doing YouTube videos. If oh my he gosh. Came out now. Are you I mean, kidding? You better believe it. Dude. <laughs> no. Yeah, and then and then Vinny would, but he would never be the one that filmed himself. He would only post what someone else filmed while they were watching him. Yeah, yeah. So it'd be homemade stuff from Vinny, super produced stuff from Dave. They'd both be amazing, and we'd still be arguing about it. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nothing would change. All right, everybody, check out Annika Nillis and check out her new album, Piccolar. She's only covered sure. the June issue. It's just out now. Uh, yep. Subscribers have it now digitally now. I believe if you're going to get it in a store, it won't be available until June, uh, July, uh, May 2nd. May 2nd but it's out now awesome we'll check that out and now it is time to get into some gear review so you got a chance to check out the Zildjian K custom special dry series yeah now, the, the buzzed about symbols of the year I would say for sure right yeah, they are um, it's a revive revamp of the stuff that they'd actually put out back in 2003 maybe a little ahead of the game they were trying to produce this kind of drier more uh, processed symbol sound right uh, Raw. It was one of the first like raw-looking symbols back then. So the, they decided. I mean, obviously, everyone now was going for that sound. So they said, "Well, we've got these in our vault. Why don't we bring them out and, and redo them and make them an entire line and add some stuff?" So they added some uh, trash crashes with holes in it, which weren't in the original line. They expanded the hi hats. So there's 13, 14s, and 15s now. They awesome. added another hi hat top that has holes in it. So you get that real kind of uh, 8-bit kind of crushed hi-hat sound out of it. Sampled sound, yeah. Uh, they're really cool. Um, 
what are the crashes? We've got 16 up through 22-inch crashes, which is super yeah. cool. Uh, the rides it's, are 21 and 23. What else is there? It's funny uh, to like think that um, that Zildjian... Now, they, correct me, I, I don't know the history very well, but did they start out as a Turkish-made symbol in the very beginning? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, the history is that it was started in Turkey, but uh, really the brand that we know of as Zildjian was Zildjian USA, which okay. was started okay. when they immigrated to the United States. Yeah, Sure. It's just uh, funny that now in 2017, now they're getting, like, they're just killing the Turkish vibe, but still <laughs> yeah. doing it their way, right? And so the reason why I mention that is because I have so many students that are just Zildjian fanatics. So it doesn't matter, even if they love something made by Bosphorus. They're not leaving Zildjian. These are Zildjian fanatics. Yeah. And I think it's great when a company says, look, man, we're not changing what we do. Hell, we've always done this. But we're going to give you what you want because yeah. you know the requests have come in and, and you want this from us. And the thing is, like, when I think of – if I see a uh, any Turkish symbol that, that's going for the trashy, dark thing – of course, I want to see, like, oh, I wonder how Zildjian would do that. Yeah. Because they have to have their own process. They're not going to go do it in Turkey. So it's like, well, I wonder how they would do it. I wonder how Sabian would handle this. And uh, I think I told you when I came back from Nam, this was the only real thing besides um, a couple little things. This was the thing that stuck out to me the most. I stopped by their yeah. booth. Uh, I was hanging out with Ash. I, I talked to the Zildjian AR just about, like, hey, inform me on these. And I was really impressed with them. And yeah. then I think maybe Larnell came out with a video. Demoing yeah, them, he did. Yeah, doing a few, and now. I get to hear them. Yeah, yeah, and I, I just thought, like, wow, and uh, that's, and obviously, I've been a Peisty artist and a Minel artist, and it's pretty rare that a new set of symbols blows me away. But I thought these were fantastic. Yeah, I mean, they've yeah. they've they've always. Thought, I mean, the Constantinople is like their old Turkish line, but they've never yeah. had like the real fast hit and quit kind of stuff. And sure. that's that's where I think this kind of uh, adds. I mean, they had it before; they had it in two thousand three, but they they sort of discontinued right. it, but. Like the, for me, the Constantinople is like the pristine jazz series. It's old right. school, but it has the full spectrum of sound and a beautiful wash and a beautiful sustain. You can crash it, you can ride it. You can't. I mean, you can't ride a twenty-two inch special dry crash. It's not designed to be like a crash right. ride. It it's right. a giant symbol that hits and quits super fast, which works really well in in modern yep. modern music where you have so many synthesizers and things going on where. You want that giant crash to hit and just get out of the way so the next yeah. instrument can speak. And these definitely do yeah. that. Um, and they they also give you that, you know, if if you're dealing with, say, an A custom or even a normal K custom, yours looks like mine. Yeah, and It looks yeah. just like mine. These have that originality where it's like, oh, man, your bell has, is like all birthmarked, you know? It's like, yeah. oh, mine's more pink than that. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. that's that's an, another thing of where we're kind of at now, where people like to have, it's like, yeah, we have the same ride, but we don't have the same ride. Yeah. Um, so I think that stuff is really cool, man. Really yeah. cool. So I did a full demo. It's on moderndrummer.com, and the link will be in the show notes. But we're just going to drop in the first link, which I think is a 13-inch hi-hats, the 16-inch crash, the which of the trash crash? It's the smallest trash crash, which is probably 17. So it's a 16-inch regular crash, 17-inch trash crash, and the 21-inch ride. Awesome. Let's give them a listen.
forgot to mention that that 16-inch crash is an amazing hi-hat top. Really? Yeah, if you put it over like a heavier that. crash that you already have, like a regular medium crash, it's it's awesome. I actually like that better than, not better, but for my taste, it was better than the hi-hats. Like I, I liked wow. it better as a hi-hat. That's awesome. The so 16-inch crash what? is small. I don't use a 16-inch crash very often. It, sure. It's almost um, like it hits so fast and it gets out of the way so quick that I'd have to learn how to use it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a giant splash or hi-hat top. But it's an amazing it, hi-hat top. Yeah, I mean, and I love the ride. The ride has the definition, but still has that darkness. It's and it doesn't sound like it's going to override. It sounds like it's probably thin enough that you could crash on it a little bit. Yeah, it has like a puffy um, crash, but it doesn't wash mm-hmm. out. It it doesn't wash out yeah. at all. They are they are volume. Building building. The volume is a little bit controlled. So, like yeah. I, I, if I took these on a loud gig, I'd feel like I was hitting air at times. But they're not mm-hmm. designed for that, obviously. Right, and that's actually been you know my recommendation against my own. Um, I don't have like a signature symbol pack, but Minel sells a symbol pack that's like kind of my symbols put together just to save on cost. And there's a lot of times that I recommend against it with my students just because I know what they're doing. And I'm like, yeah. look, I know you love my videos, I know you, lo- but I'm telling you, man, once you get your guitar player with his full Marshall stack and your bass player with his Ampeg fridge, yep. you won't hear those things. Yeah, so totally they're not meant for that. Totally, it's just like a snare drum, like a ringy snare drum sounds annoying by yourself but as soon as a band plays that ring is gone yeah. and if you come to the gig with like a, a tea towel on your snare drum and, and all of a sudden your <laughs> bass player throws on his overdrive I mean that drum you is better gone be, you better be doing the tiny music desk concert on <laughs> yeah. NPR so awesome well everybody uh, check out the full video where can you see the video again bottomdrummer.com we've got the uh, actually awesome. you can read the whole review now we, we've launched our our new version of the digital edition where you can access complete articles so you can read the full review modern just go to the current issue page fantastic so check that out those are the zildjian k custom special dry series all right it is time to get to your listener questions we're only gonna be able to get to a couple today just because i've got to start my camp in a few minutes and my campers are not not good at waiting outside they start pounding on the door and kicking the glass so can't have that <laughs> <laughs> so let's get to some listener questions what do we got okay this first one is from brent uh, okay, so he is, he's been playing drums since fifth grade, and he was a gig, in a gigging band for over 10 years, but as he grew older, he's 59 now, he kind of lost his spark and his passion for drumming. Uh, the podcast has really helped me rediscover why I play in the first place, and it's given me new direction. My question is, oh, that's awesome. what would be the best approach for a drummer my age to kind of lay a new foundation and then build upon that? Would it be books, lessons, videos? Hmm. It's a good question. I, I think one, Brent, it comes down to you understanding how you learn. Um, I can tell you that if you're somebody that likes to watch and see the notation and, and hear it and slow it down and speed it up, I would definitely recommend some of my courses. And, and honestly, no matter what level you think you're at, start at the beginner courses because those beginner courses will flush out everything you missed when you were learning how to play in the first place. And it's okay to think like, man, I've played for 35 years, but I'm on the beginner grooves course. It's like, that's fine. You just missed this. I would also then tell you to never use that if you're somebody that really needs to be in the room with somebody with a taskmaster, like then private lessons would be the way to go. And uh, I think both are totally great. It just depends on your schedule. Also depends on where you live. I've got quite a few students now online that said, I live in a great metropolitan area. I just went through all the private drum instructors. I never clicked with any of them. I like your yeah. vibe. And it's like, okay, that's fine. You know, yeah. you have to click with your teacher. Uh, do you have anything to add to that? Um, I think at, at that at that age, you're kind of 
your taste and your your interests are formed. So it, rather than like a teenager who who's trying to absorb everything, I would I would say focus on what gets you excited about drums. Is it is it the possibility yeah. of being a more technical player? Do you want to just have more vocabulary, or is it music? Do you want to learn how to play like some drummer? Um, and just try to, f- and that's that's when a coach will come in, whether online yes. or in person. Like if you say, "This is what I want to be able to do," what do I have to do to get there? Uh, and just keep, for me, the most thing important thing is keep it a passion project. So if at any point you're like, "Oh, this is really not my thing," then try a different approach. Play along the records if that's what you need to do. Get with a, a teacher who will give you a very specific curriculum, just like you said. Uh, right. I think at this point it's it's not trying to do everything, just trying to keep it keep the fire burning with just inspiration, constant inspiration. Right. Yeah. No, um, I agree. I agree. Awesome. Next one is from Nino. Uh okay, so he lo- he says, I love an old Camco pedal, but my feet uh are size thirteen. So if I want to do like a toe down, heel down, which I don't really know exactly what he means. Toe down, heel Maybe down. Heel toe. I hit, oh, I, hit, oh. I, hit, I hit the floor and not the pedal. Hmm. Um, so do you have any solution or a recommendation of a pedal that will be similar to the Camco but has a larger plate? Uh, I don't know if DW still has that wide pedal. I don't know if it does, but I would say go with a longboard. You know, it's, I think like a, almost every company now has a longboard pedal, so you can just try them out, and it'll, it just gives you an extra inch or so on the heel so you won't be smacking the floor. Uh, you're, you're not going to find something that looks or feels like a Camco at, in a bigger size that I'm aware of. Uh, but these newer pedals are going to be a lot better than the old, old Camco yeah. that might have a you know, worn out. Uh, the teeth might be wearing out the chain and stuff. So check out a longboard pedal. I know a lot of guys who use them and love them. Um, you just have to get over the fact that it doesn't look like the Camco. That's yeah. I mean, mo- and most shops are going to have that setup where there's just pedals lined up against a wall and, Try them out and see which one feels right. Exactly. Uh, well, let's do. Let's move on. I mean, we got some some juicier questions that might take ten minutes. So let's move on. I don't have a pick of the week yet, so you better go first. <laughs> okay. So my pick of the week kind of coincides with our podcast. I think my pick of the week um, has been this three times in our ninety episodes, which is the Sam Jones podcast. Oh, or the, I've been away um, from it for a while. Off camera, so yeah. it's called Off Camera. Now, the reason why it's my pick of the week is because it's their one hundredth episode. Oh, so, no kidding! And their one hundredth episode is Ron Howard, and uh. it's killer. It <laughs> is just killer because it goes from like how he auditioned for happy days and how he auditioned for the Andy Griffith show as a kid. And then how he saw the writing on the wall that he was like, as a TV star, no one's going to ever put me in a movie ever. Mm. So I'm going to learn how to direct while in happy days. So that when I finally, when this show runs its course, I can actually, I, I want to do feature films, but no one's going to ever put me in them. So I'll just direct them. And then he talks about how he kind of, uh, took the Happy Days gig as a way to stay out of the draft. Um, his draft number was 41, and he didn't agree with the war at the time. And he's like, I don't want to go over there, but if I have this job, ABC will keep me in the country no matter mm. what because I'll be the star of an American TV show. Draft so doctor. it's just He's a draft doctor. Yeah, yeah. Freaking Ron, <laughs> come on. Um, you know, and so uh, – so yeah, so I think it's a really interesting thing, and uh, and I didn't even know his dad is eighty eight, and he's working on nine different projects right now nice. um, in the movie industry. So his dad is, was the one 
it was an actor and pushing him. Um, but anyways, one thing that just struck me right off the bat, since we're coming up on episode 100, was Sam mentions to him, he's like, hey, thanks for doing this. Thanks for being part of our 100th episode. And Ron's like, man, it doesn't matter whether it's TV, radio, or podcasting. Getting to 100 episodes of anything is hard to do right. in any day, in any age. And I was like thinking... Man, me and Mike should be stoked. And you said we're we're coming up on a half a million downloads. It's like, yeah, all right, yeah. this this thing was a total like, <laughs> you know, like we didn't care at all, and like it's still going. So I'm really excited about it. But de- definitely check out um, if you haven't checked it out. Check out Off Camera with Sam Jones. It is just the one of the greatest hours of conversations you'll ever experience with some of the most influential people in entertainment. So it's pretty amazing. Though I obviously don't care enough to prepare my pick of the week ahead of time, but. Fortunately, <laughs> did I buy you enough time to figure something no, out as you I, look around I, the office? I made, a, I made a mental note last weekend that this should be a pick of the week because I okay, I've I've you know I'm getting to the the tired old man syndrome where I want to have the smallest lightest load in as possible. Uh-huh. So I got a set of remember I think it was a couple weeks back I recommended the Tama uh, lightweight stand. Yep, and I think I might have miss miss spoke and said there weren't really other ones out there that had that similar kind of profile, but okay, uh, the DW six thousand series lightweight stands. I got a set of those. Uh, they're probably not quite as light as the Thomas stand, but but they're pretty pretty awesome. So I got rid of all of my. I mean, I was just using regular straight stands, but they were they were heavy. My hardware bag was still a two man job to lift it up out of the really car, okay. So. so I got rid of all that. I'm using all six thousand series. Uh, the hi-hat stand, it's a flat base hi-hat stand. The snare stand is sort of a throwback to the old like Ludwig style. Mm. So I wouldn't put like a bell brass snare or anything like that right. on it. But it did fine for just a you know a quick load-in gig with a small kit. Cymbal stands are great. Um, so that and it it probably cut the weight of my hardware case down by half. Like it's really and it takes up less space. So now I can I don't have to stretch the zipper to get it you know closed up because I have my pedal in there, I have my throne in there. I have my stick right. bag in there. I have my my drum web mat in there. Um, everything is in there. Floor tom legs. So that's that's my pick of the week. If you're looking for some really compact a full series, because Tomba just has that one stand. They don't have a full series yet. Right. A full series yeah, of ultra light stuff. The six thousand series by DW. My buddy Tim Metz plays those. I think Lou Montuli got some of those. Um, and I know that everyone that has them loves them and has and for how light they are, no one has mentioned any. Uh, flaws or any problems with them no i mean i played a pretty loud gig on saturday and and the hi-hat stand wobbled a bit but it didn't move it didn't it didn't slide around it wobbled a bit the cymbal stands i didn't even notice them they were totally fine Uh, that's awesome it's it's good stuff that's my pick that's great man awesome well everybody you got a lot of stuff to catch up on go check out uh, peter erskine's article and definitely give uh annika's album a paid download uh don't try to find it for free (laughs) buy that thing i promise you i I know it's hard for people of a certain generation to understand but when you pay for music you listen to it with a completely different intent so yeah i still buy all of my favorite music definitely um, follow her if you don't on social media and you know let her know that you you heard us talking about her if you read the story let her know i know she's excited to get the feedback as well absolutely and check out those zildjian k custom dry series all right buddy well i'm gonna get back to camp all right you have an amazing week and uh then when i see you next week that's like vacation time man i'll be oh you're off next week every other week yeah yep exactly we can be extra lazy next week all right (laughs) all right buddy i'll talk to you soon yeah